Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. Two situations are afoot in the U.S. that may see President Donald Trump out of a job in November. The first is the confluence of forces now brewing into a full-blown political firestorm. The other is what's happening in Israel over Trump's proposed peace plan. Trump's shoe-in status for this November appeared solid until COVID-19 hit the world. He has been criticized by the Democrats for his delayed response to the coronavirus outbreak and for not doing enough. Had he jumped earlier, the Democrats would have said he jumped too soon, and had he done more, they would have said he should have done less. On April 29th, Yahoo Sports ran a Reuters article stating that Joe Biden and the Democratic Party has now gone on an all-out offensive against Trump. The article says just weeks ago, Democrats were treading carefully as Trump commanded the spotlight with his daily briefings on the virus, hesitant to avoid looking too partisan as the pandemic took its toll on jobs and health. Now, Democrats believe weeks of Trump's unfiltered media performances have done more harm than good for the Republican president seeking re-election on November 3rd, and their aggressive response aims to expose what they see as his faulty handling of the crisis. Biden's campaign team talking points accuse Trump of one of the worst policy mistakes any president has made in our history. New campaign ads in battleground states say Trump failed to act on the coronavirus, which has now infected more than 977,500 on that date in April, 977,500 Americans and killed more than 55,000 and call him overly trusting of China during the pandemic. Well, as of this week in the uh, middle of June... Trump is trailing Biden in the polls now, largely because of his mishandling of the George Floyd mess, which makes the most of the Democrats' view of Trump's coronavirus response in April, when the Yahoo Sports article said, We are witnessing one of the worst failures of leadership by a president in our country's history, and that's the only thing that will be on voters' minds this fall, according to the Biden campaign. Trump allies recently launched their own videos criticizing Biden's favorable comments about China and touting Trump's travel restrictions on the country. And just to drive home this point, Biden used the George Floyd murder as a political ploy against Trump this week, while Trump was dealing with the issue of defunding police and everything else he's dealing with. Biden spent an hour in Houston in a private meeting on Monday sharing the grief of the family of Floyd. He listened, heard their pain, and shared in their woe, according to Benjamin Crump, the family's lawyer. 
That compassion meant the world to this grieving family. The LA Times article further says, Trump's advisors are letting it be known that he is seriously considering a televised national address on race and national unity. When your paroxysms of laughter subside, says this article, consider the serious point here. This reveals just how badly Trump misread the politics of this moment to a potentially fatal degree. This misreading highlights a political vulnerability on Trump's part that has been exposed by the seismic events of the past few months, pandemic, economic depression, and now a level of civil ferment sweeping the country not seen in perhaps half a century. The ads that Biden is running portray Trump as a liar during the coronavirus outbreak and has been released just as Biden has made his most brilliant move yet visiting the family of George Floyd. A new $20 million ad campaign from the Democratic Super PAC American Bridge is targeting mostly seniors in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania with ads featuring a Vietnam veteran who voted for Trump in 2016 but is now voting for Joe Biden because Biden has the good of the country in his heart that Trump only cares about himself and that he's not the president they expected. This Washington Post article further says the damage Trump has done to himself with his lies and failures on the coronavirus is already obvious, but it's now becoming evident that he badly damaged himself with his response to the protests in the wake of the police killing of George Floyd, too. It could not have been Joe Biden's idea to visit the Floyd family. I can't give him that much credit. Biden just isn't that concerned about others or that smart, but he has surrounded himself with people who apparently are at least adept at making the most of a great political moment. And the Dems' left-wing view that Trump's reaction to the riots by deploying National Guard in Washington, D.C. could swing undecided voters in Biden's favor. NBC News wrote that Senator Tom Cotton's op-ed from last week is a nearly fascistic call for the military to be called in to violently suppress the most peaceful protests spurred by the ongoing unjustified and unjustifiable killings by police of multiple black men and women. There is no bigger government that one can kill its citizens at will for protesting the government killing them at will. It's one reason the right to protest is our First Amendment. But President Donald Trump certainly reflects the Republican spirit of that type of big government. Sure, the signature achievement of the Trump administration was an upper-class tax cut, and they nearly passed a partial repeal of the Affordable Care Act, which they proclaimed a victory for smaller government. 
Our national debt is the highest on record, and government spending as a share of GDP is not returned to the lows of the Clinton era by any stretch of the imagination. But the tax cut does nothing to materially enhance the liberty of the American people, unless one counts as freedom the ability of Jeff Bezos' heirs to never have to work for a living. Similarly, taking away health care from people is a net negative loss to their freedom, not least because there's nothing free about extremely ill or dead people. Well, the Dems clearly are now using the pandemic and the economic destruction that came in its weight, coupled with the George Floyd protests against Trump things that he is not responsible for. He didn't make these messes. The Democratic response to his calling on the National Guard to protect the Capitol is bizarre. They would have been squealing much more loudly had Antifa destroyed the Capitol building and their offices. They're all for the peaceful protests and never mind that the protests were anything but peaceful and never mind that Trump's economic policies were working before the coronavirus was released. The left wants him gone and it seems that a stirred up deep state plan to make that happen could have voters eating out of Biden's hand like a bunch of hungry goats. The left-wing NBC article further says, When it comes to the police, on the other hand, Trump infamously told police officers in 2017, Please don't be too nice to suspects, despite years and years of court rulings that suggest officers being too nice to suspects is not the problem with law enforcement in the United States. It's probably not a coincidence that Bob Kroll, the head of the Minneapolis Police Union, George Floyd died while in the custody of Minneapolis police, remember that, is a major Trump supporter who appeared with him at a rally last year. So, if someone is injured or died near a Trump supporter, then it's Trump's fault. Hey, that's good to know. And Trump's applause for authoritarian policy isn't just empty rhetoric. His Department of Justice has dismantled many of the consent decrees the Obama administration made with police departments to reduce brutality and abuse. It would be a mistake, however, to think that the support for a vast and brutal police state to exercise ultimate power over the American people is just a Trump problem. As Cotton's endorsement of violent attacks on protesters makes clear, this is a party-wide problem. Ah, now the Democrats are righteous while the Republicans are everything that is evil in America. Look, I'm no fan of Donald Trump, as you know. However, the left can't seem to come somewhat to the center to really give credit where credit is due and to tell the truth. No, They want to play the blame game because they're a bunch of do-nothings taking up space on Capitol Hill. What was Pelosi doing for weeks in her lush California home equipped with a $20,000 freezer full of ice cream? 
she lazily and stubbornly rejected the call of her government to serve during a crisis that's why she's in office that's what she's supposed to do during a crisis serve the reason for the blame game is because the Dems can't show one iota of any effort made by them to calm these storms keep the peace and help Americans in the pandemic rather their focus is on the destruction of the President of the United States when will they become Team America players certainly not while Trump is in office and probably not while any Republican is in office until all those lazy stupid and self-serving Democrats are voted out of offices the Democrats would rather see poor and working-class Americans under attack by foreign powers who send their rabble over the southern border to squeeze taxpayer dollars out of the government for themselves while veterans and other citizens who are not illegal aliens need help that they are not getting because that money is going to the illegal aliens the Democrats would rather see China continue to steal American ingenuity and jobs why because China is lining their greedy pockets Biden Pelosi Schiff now consider this NBC News statement consider Trump's Attorney General William Barr who previously worked for Presidents Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush and briefly served in the administration of Republican Virginia Governor George Allen in a chillingly authoritarian speech last year he talked approvingly about local law enforcement as if it was a protection racket if communities don't give that support and respect they might find themselves without the police protection they need in other words nice city you have here wouldn't want us to have to let it burn down because you protest our abuses well wasn't it a Democrat that called for defunding the police nationwide in America yes and even though defunding the police will be what causes the burning down of cities across the country this Democrat author Scott Lemieux believes putting the National Guard against fascist uprisings in the street is detrimental to Americans lives what planet do these people live on both Trump and Biden invoked Floyd's name for political gain this week Trump announced an increase in employment numbers that rose during the coronavirus lockdown while Biden reassured Floyd's family that Floyd's death will change the world and herein lies what could be the huge mistake Trump made this week to cost him the November election the hill.com usually favorable to Trump had a hard time staying neutral over his statement that the jobs numbers were a great day for Floyd 
Trump on Friday declared it a great day for equality and a great day for George Floyd following a jobs report that showed unemployment falling except for African Americans and days of unrest sparked by Floyd's death. The president delivered lengthy and often rambling remarks in the Rose Garden that were ostensibly meant to highlight a new jobs report that showed unemployment falling after weeks of the country being shuttered by the coronavirus pandemic. Well, Trump has yet to explain how African-American unemployment numbers remaining unchanged makes a good day for Floyd and other African-Americans. CNN had this to say. Trump's remark and subsequent Twitter display in which he promoted Beck's interview with Owens in a tweet storm where he attacked his critics and elevated his supporters once again displayed the president's callousness and his inability to empathize with the experience of black Americans for whom systematic racism and police brutality are still everyday occurrences. The president's great day remark was bizarre, not only because of the circumstances of Floyd's death, but because the day's economic news also underscored the persistent gap between white and black unemployment. Well, as much as I dislike CNN for its left-wing bias, this sentiment is correct. Donald Trump has remarked about the Floyd death as a tragedy and even called Floyd's brother, but Trump seems unable to identify with and bring comfort to a suffering family, let alone to a dying nation. George Floyd's brother, Philonis Floyd, on Sunday said he spoke with both President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden last week, saying his talk with Trump was brief while Biden was talking to him constantly. The Vice President, I loved his conversation. He talked to me for like 10 or 15 minutes, and I was trying to talk his ear off because he was talking to me constantly. Great conversation. But Trump... It lasted probably two minutes, he told CNN's Don Lemon when asked if he was able to share the pain of his brother's death with the president. It was very brief. The conversation was okay with him. I was just respecting him, you know, listening to what he had to say, and I understood what he was saying, but it was just a brief conversation. Trump, big mistake. Huge You should have taken the time to visit the Floyd family for a few hours. You will have plenty of time to push back against the police defunding campaign, to get the economy running, to deal with the Democrats' lies and so forth. Trump's mishandling of the police scandal now fueling outrage worldwide, coupled with the Democrats' exaggerated claim of coronavirus mishandling and that Trump and the Republican Party are fascist, has him now on slippery footing for November. And now I'm not going to talk about this natural news article where Mike Adams 
says he learned that the killing of George Floyd was staged. I don't have space for it in this week's Beast Watch News report, but there is the link and you should go read that. It is being reported that President George Bush has said he will not back Trump in the November election. And everybody on the left is cheering. Let's find out if that's really the case. Again from thehill.com. George W. Bush's spokesman said Monday that the New York Times reported that the former president won't support President Trump's re-election was completely made up. Huh. Spokesman Freddie Ford told the Texas Tribune that the Times report, which cited people familiar with Bush's thinking, was false, but that Bush will avoid speaking publicly on his 2020 presidential vote. The Times report also said Bush's brother, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, who was one of Trump's 2016 primary rivals, is unsure of how he will vote in the upcoming presidential election. Ford had told the Times that the former president would not get involved in the elections and would only speak out on policy issues like he did last week when he said during massive protests against police brutality that the U.S. must examine our tragic failures. The Saturday Times article reported that several Republican leaders are struggling with whether to endorse Trump's second term or throw their support behind presumptive Democratic nominee and former Vice President Joe Biden. Senator Mitt Romney told The Atlantic in February he would not be supporting the president's re-election. Cindy McCain, the widow of former Senator John McCain, is likely to back Biden, although it's unclear how public she will make her decision, according to The Times. And former Secretary of State Colin Powell, who served under Bush, announced on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday that he is backing Biden. Look, it doesn't matter to me who wins the election, because I know that Yahweh is the puppet master, and all these people are at the end of his strings. Yahweh used Trump to open the door for war in Israel, according to the prophecies, whenever that's going to happen, and has set the stage for the continued decline of the daughter of Babylon and her mother, Jerusalem. Yahweh uses men's weaknesses to lift them and to make them fall. Perhaps Trump will fall on his own weaknesses this coming November. I'm not making a prediction, just saying it ain't looking good for Trump at the moment. Now let's move on to Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is scurrying to stay alive in his arena as much as Trump is in Washington. A joint Jewish-Arab rally against Israeli plans to annex West Bank settlements took place Saturday in Tel Aviv's Rabin Square with thousands of participants. The protest was originally forbidden by the police due to fears over the coronavirus, but police relented and issued a permit on Friday night. 
Organizers appointed some 50 supervisors to ensure that coronavirus regulations are maintained. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders addressed the rally via video conference, expressing his support for the protesters and condemnation of Israel's annexation plans. The senator said that he was heartened to see Arabs and Jews demonstrating together. Head of the Joint List Alliance of Predominantly Arab Parties, Ayman O'Day, told the crowd, We are at a crossroads. One path leads to a joint society with a real democracy, civil, and national equality for Arab citizens. The second path leads to hatred, violence, annexation, and apartheid, O'Day said. We're here in Rabin Square to pick the first path, he said. There is no such thing as democracy for Jews alone, he added. Well, O'Day is right. Democracy in any nation cannot be for only one cultural group within that nation. That is why the far right and the right are trying to change Israel's status to a religious state. Netanyahu has set July 1 as the deadline for beginning the process of unilaterally annexing settlements, but in past weeks, settlers themselves have opposed the conditions delineated in the Trump plan, namely a freeze on settlement expansion and the isolation of some 15 settlements inside territories of a future Palestinian state, which they also oppose the establishment of. After the meeting with settlers' leaders this week, Netanyahu's office put out a statement that the Prime Minister is committed to negotiations with Palestinians under the Trump plan. In other words, Netanyahu is willing to play Trump's game. The settlers, however, are not. Protests in America, protests in Israel, yep, they're still mother, daughter, or sister nations. The Bible calls them both. Rabbi Yitzchak Yehuda Yaroslavsky, chief rabbi of Kiryat Malachi and secretary of the Kabad rabbinical court in Israel, otherwise known as the nascent Sanhedrin, sent a letter to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Friday urging him not to accept the Trump peace plan. Back in 1990, we had clear instructions from the Lubavitcher Rebbe regarding the return of territories, etc., which are certainly remembered in his honor, the rabbi said. When we hear talk today and agreement to establish a terror state in the territories of Judea and Samaria, we request that you do not, God forbid, make the mistake of accepting President Trump's deal of the century, which includes a Palestinian state, heaven help us. A video posted on the Kabad website shows a questioner asking the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, about his opinion of giving away Israeli territory for peace on December 9, 1990. Rabbi Schneerson said, All of Israel belongs to the Jews, and anyone who gives part of it to someone else is stealing from the Jewish 
nation. And uh, this is where we should all be saying, no, it doesn't belong to the Jews. It belongs to all Israel, and the Jews are only one-third of all Israel. According to Times of Israel, the Trump administration is disinclined to back Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's repeatedly declared intention to unilaterally annex parts of the West Bank next month unless the move is supported by Netanyahu's blue and white coalition partners, Defense Minister Benny Gantz and Foreign Minister Gabby Ashkenazi a TV report claimed on Monday night. Channel 12 News said Netanyahu, Gantz, Ashkenazi, and the Likud's Knesset speaker, Yariv Levin, met on Sunday night with the U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Freeman, and that the takeaway from the talks was that for the Americans to give their backing, they would want to see the full Israeli unity government clearly supporting any unilateral annexation move. So, let me get this straight. All that is required for Netanyahu to have U.S. backing is for him to get all of his unity government to okay the annexation? Yep. Sounds easy enough then. Oh, but wait. There's a guy in the wings waiting to take office in another few months and he is not completely for annexing the West Bank the way Netanyahu wants to do it. You see, what they're fighting over is not whether to annex, but how. While Gantz and Ashkenazi are both on record enthusiastically backing the peace to prosperity vision that U.S. President Donald Trump unveiled at the White House in January, Gantz has said repeatedly that he would seek its implementation in coordination with other affected parties, such as the Palestinians and the Jordanians, rather than unilaterally. The Palestinians preemptively rejected the entire plan, and Jordan has warned that it would review relations with Israel if Netanyahu goes ahead with his pledge to unilaterally annex the 30% of the West Bank that the plan allocates to Israel. Netanyahu told settler leaders on Sunday night that he would indeed annex all the 132 settlements, home to some 450,000 Israelis, on July 1st, the date on which his deal with Gantz allows him to advance annexation in the government and or the Knesset, but that the rest of his planned annexation, mainly covering the Jordan Valley, may have to wait. The reason Washington wants to see Israel's government fully united behind any annexation move in part is because the U.S. president is already preoccupied with problems at home with the anti-racism protests and the COVID-19 crisis and the administration knows that unilateral Israeli annexation of West Bank territory will cause it problems overseas. Allies in the Gulf are opposed to the move, as is the European Union. 
The U.S. Democratic Party is also opposed. Even Israel's settler leaders are divided on the entire Trump plan, with some favoring annexation now and others rejecting the entire vision because it conditionally provides for a Palestinian state. The U.S. State Department's special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism asserted Monday that any decision for Israel to annex parts of the West Bank was up to the Israeli government alone, and therefore any delay in doing so was on the country's leaders. His comments appeared to contradict multiple recent reports, according to which Washington is heavily involved in discussions of the plan and has indicated to Israel that it may not agree to it happening next month, as Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had originally envisioned. Under the coalition deal between Netanyahu and Defense Minister Benny Gantz, the new government can begin extending sovereignty over areas of the West Bank designated for Israel under Trump's peace plan next month. However, a minister in Netanyahu's Likud party said last week that the July 1 target date for annexation could be pushed off by weeks, while another source told the Times of Israel that the U.S. was highly unlikely to support Israel moving forward with annexation then. Some other Jewish folks have other plans, though. Netanyahu or no Netanyahu. Trump or no Trump. I reported on the Hilltop Youth, a Jewish terrorist organization so dubbed by the Israeli government a couple of weeks ago. Well, they're back in the news this week. Dozens of far-right Israeli activists have launched a campaign aimed at foiling the Trump peace plan that they say will include establishing outposts in parts of the West Bank that are earmarked for the Palestinian state envisioned by the proposal. Organizers of the It's All Ours campaign say their efforts will progress in three stages during the coming weeks leading up to the July 1 date on which Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed to begin advancing annexation in parts of the West Bank with U.S. backing. The campaign marks the latest effort to oppose the Trump plan, which, despite its envisioning of Israel annexing all West Bank settlements in addition to the Jordan Valley, has faced significant opposition from settler leaders, senior figures in the national religious camp, and now ultra-nationalist activists as well. The first stage of the It's All Ours campaign was launched late Thursday night and saw over 100 Hilltop youth and students from national religious yeshivas around the country plastering over 5,500 flyers along roads and bus stops throughout the West Bank warning against the danger of the division of the land that is on the horizon. 
the It's All Ours organizers say the next stage will include rallies and marches throughout the West Bank as earlier as later this week. The campaign will then climax with the establishment of illegal outposts in strategic areas beyond the Green Line, regardless of whether they are located in areas A, B, or C. Until now, Israeli settlers have focused almost exclusively on settling in Area C, the 60% of the West Bank, which, according to the 1995 Oslo Accords, falls under Israeli security and civilian control. A handful of outposts have gone up in Area B, where Israel has security control, but the Palestinian Authority is in charge of civilian matters there. But Israeli security forces have worked to swiftly demolish such illegal building. Area A, on the other hand, is under full PA control and has rarely experienced any attempts by Israelis to settle there until now. The It's All Ours campaign organizers said in their flyers, our mission is to break through the current boundaries of settlement. If we settle with existing communities, we will lose most of Judea and Samaria, and a Palestinian state will be established there. Among the It's All Ours leaders is Yadidya Shapira, a 25-year-old father of two from the central West Bank settlement of Betel. He argued that the Trump plan posed a challenge as well as an opportunity for the settler movement. If the proposal says that the 30% where we are located is ours, then it is our responsibility to settle the remaining 70%, to show that it is ours as well. We can only demand where we settle, Shapira said, echoing a major tenet of the Trump peace plan, which states that no Israelis or Palestinians will be uprooted from their homes as part of its realistic two-state solution. He revealed that before the pandemic, the campaign leadership had already started scoping out hilltops for the establishment of new wildcat communities. Shapira said he was not concerned about the risks establishing remote outposts in areas that are under PA control. The IDF is responsible for the security of Israelis, no matter where they are, and they'll protect us, he said. Asked whether there was any strategic value in accepting the Trump plan in order to receive U.S. backing for annexation of at least part of the West Bank, when the PA is almost certain to reject an offer for statehood on what remains, another member of the campaign, Sarah Miriam Malt, emphatically rejected the idea. Opposing the division of the land is a fundamental belief based on the Bible, she said. I have no moral right to give that up because the moment I do so, we lose the legitimacy of our claims. Despite the rather homogenous makeup of the It's All Ours supporters, Malt insisted that a majority of Jewish Israelis support their goal and recognize that we have a right to be here and that no other people has such a right. 
The goal of the campaign, she argued, is to awaken the public in the hopes that more will join them in acting upon that prerogative. Another problem Netanyahu will have getting the annexation done comes from the left-wing high court in Israel, the legal court of Israel as opposed to the usurping and now in control of the Knesset Sanhedrin court. The 8-1 to vote on Tuesday of Israel's high court to strike down a 2017 law that legalized homes built on Palestinian land sparked anger among Israel's right wing, which has questioned not only the timing, coming as it does on the eve of annexation, but the legal reasoning behind it. The 2017 law which the court struck down has been designed to protect Jewish residents in Judea and Samaria who had inadvertently built homes and apartments on land that they have been told was owned by the state of Israel. In certain cases it was discovered afterwards that the land didn't belong to the state. Although it was unclear to whom the land belonged, the Israeli government always made the assumption that it was private Palestinian land. Some 2,000 Jewish homes were found to have been built either wholly or partially on such land. The 2017 law protected those homes from destruction and their residents from eviction by compensating the land's owner, even when the owner claiming the land had no legal proof to support his claim. The Netanyahu administration said at the time the law was introduced, the main purpose of the law is once and for all to remove the freezing cloud of uncertainty that hovers over entire communities. The government said it wanted to avoid the demolition of thousands of buildings in the area and evacuating families. With the law now struck down, those homes may once again be exposed to demolition. Edelstein, who had a run-in with the court recently, said that the court has made itself the legislative, executive, and judiciary branches at the same time. We must put an end to this, he said. Zippy Hotovelli, Minister of Settlement Affairs, said, The court recognized the right of a Palestinian who never proved ownership over those of the citizens of the State of Israel, military veterans and taxpayers, who settled in good faith and were sent by Israeli governments and who are now considered felons. The Likud party announced on Tuesday that it would legislate the law anew. However, its coalition partner, Blue and White, sent the opposite message and said that it would work to uphold the judge's view, leading commentators to question whether the court's decision will spark a coalition crisis. Netanyahu will likely come to regret making his deal with Gantz. In fact, he probably already does. But it seemed the only way forward to defy Yahweh 
in the formation of a government it was Yahweh who pushed Israel into this untenable position by not allowing them to form a government after their self-declared jubilee in violation of his jubilee laws thus this new unity government looks like the first efforts at the Jews turning Jerusalem into full-blown mystery Babylon it isn't a question of whether there will be war in the West Bank Ezekiel 38 and 39's mountains of Israel the question is when Trump opened this door and the possibility for all hell to break loose in Israel Trump's win in November is a moot point now the right wing Jews will in no way be stopped from taking all of the West Bank and sooner or later the U.S. will be pulled into the fray no matter who the president of the U.S. is if Trump stays in office I expect he will try to play the role of military mediator by having U.S. troops present on the ground during the conflict but will ultimately side with Israel against the Palestinians if a democratic candidate you know Biden or someone else gets in office the US could still end up in Israel's West Bank but perhaps to protect the Palestinians from the IDF either way this coming Gog Magog war is a war between brethren and hang on because I'm going to tell you how it could get even worse than that how could it get worse there could be civil war coming between the Jews and the Jews right-wing Jews and left-wing Jews the Gog Magog war could involve Jews killing Jews not just Jews and Palestinians killing each other along with any US Ephraimite forces that happen to get involved Gantz's refusal to stand with Netanyahu over this issue could turn out to be another reason Likud will look for a way out from him becoming Prime Minister next year now let's turn our attention to Iran quickly Iran may be preparing for conflict with Israel in Syria and no longer will accept Israeli airstrikes on its warehouses without a response a report over the weekend suggested veteran journalist Elijah Magnier wrote on the website medium about whether the great Middle Eastern war will begin in the Levant and cited Syria as a potential flashpoint Magnier's report is interesting because he asserts that according to private sources Iran is evacuating sites at the gatherings of its advisors not for withdrawal or for redeployment but to find bases within the Syrian army barracks Hezbollah has taken over the vacated Iranian buildings Russia has been informed of the change so that the information would reach Israel.
In mid-May, reports emerged that Iran might be withdrawing some of its forces from Syria, estimated at some 1,000 IRGC personnel, but analysts and U.S. officials rejected this assessment at the time. The June 6th piece by Magnier provides another view as to what may be happening. Iran no longer wants to accept Israeli strikes on its warehouses without any response, he wrote. Iran has been moving its advisors, which Magnier say number a few hundred, to Syrian regime bases. This would protect them, ostensibly, because airstrikes would be less likely to hit them there. If there were airstrikes, then the Syrian regime would respond, and this would most likely drag the U.S., into the battle to support its ally Israel and have an impact on the forthcoming elections, Magnier wrote. Russia plays a key role because it is coordinating with Israel. It was agreed between Israel and Russia that Moscow and Russia's air base at Kimimim would be informed of the details of any strike. Russia plays the middleman in this view, not part of Iran's axis of resistance, but telling its Syrian regime allies what is happening. Russia has informed Israeli leaders of this move by Iranian advisors and their presence among the Syrian army units, Magnir wrote. Russia warned Israel not to strike the Syrian army under any circumstances and informed them that the Iranian bases have been handed over to Hezbollah. Trump is in trouble. Netanyahu is in trouble. America is in trouble. Israel is in trouble. As I have reported in the past, their troubles always seem to mirror each other. It's still true today, and if Israel is facing war with Iran, America is most certainly facing a direct conflict with Iran's ally, Russia. How long will it be until the world enters the final phase of Yahweh's cleanup operation called the Great Tribulation? No one knows except the Father. Even Yeshua is waiting for orders to move his troops to the earth to finish up this mess. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.